familiar with Great Britain's royal family? I think we all are to a certain extent. In 2018, people predominantly ladies, but men too, hosted or attended watch parties for the wedding of Meghan Markle to Prince Harry. And over the next few months, the world watched the transformation of Miss Markle from an L.A.-born and raised young lady with a passion for film to the Duchess of Sussex. Upon entering the royal family, the Duchess had to learn a whole new way of life. First of all, she had to learn to walk and talk like the British. And to take it a step further, she had to learn to live like royalty. She had to become a completely different person. Well, let me make it a little bit more personal. A few weeks ago, my family and I were sitting on the couch watching the first episode of the series, The Chosen. The story of Mary Magdalene unfolded before our very eyes in her transformation from being demon-possessed and to being spirit-filled was captivating. At the end of the show, our oldest daughter Peyton said, Whoa! I can't believe it! She's like a completely different person. Well, you may be wondering, where is he going with this? What do these stories have to do with Philippians? Well, friends, at the moment of salvation, you and I were transformed into different, completely different people. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we become Christians, we receive new life. And we ought to live in a new way. We are called to live for Christ, which is a calling to live worthy of the gospel. Today, let me remind you that if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called to live worthy of the gospel. The entire book of Philippians speaks to this theme, and verses 27 to 30 of chapter 1 teaches us specific ways how to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join with me as I read Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to him. Heavenly Father, we bow before your throne of grace and mercy this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would speak to us. I pray that my words would not be my own, but your spirits. That he would give me the words to say this morning. And that you would touch each person where they're at. And that you would show them how to apply your words to their lives. It's not my words, but your words that I want people to hear this morning. And so may your word go forth. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first way we live worthy of the gospel is to stand firm in Christ. Look back with me at verse 27. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm. That you are standing firm. So Paul's desire for the Philippians was whether he was present or not, that they would live worthy of the gospel. And he wanted them to stand firm in Christ. This standing firm is like a, 
person, a man, going into battle. As men go into battle, they have to stand firm. They have to hold their ground against the enemy. And it takes a firm footing to do so. This makes me think of the battle of Thermopylae. And this is where 7,000 Greeks stood in the gap against 100 to 150,000 Persians. As they come, they came to conquer the Greeks. And the Greeks stood in the gap, and they stood firm, and they would not give up ground. And I'd like you to watch this short clip from a movie portraying this battle scene. I want you to see how these men stood their ground. Watch with me. those men, they put their foot back and they pushed forward. They held their ground. They stood firm. Well, that's what we have to do. We have to stand firm in Christ. We have to put our foot in Christ and stand firm in Him. We saw that these men were side by side fighting this battle. Look with me at verse 27 again. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. He wants them to strive side by side. I'm sure many of you, when you grew up, you played Red Rover, Red Rover. It was a child's game where you had two teams, and one team holding hands, would call somebody over. So they would say, Red Rover, Red Rover, Alex, come over. And Alex would get a full steam, run, and try to break through those hands. And the reason Alex could break through those hands is because all they were holding onto is each other's hands. Picture with me, though, instead of holding just hands, they were standing side by side, arms locked, not letting anybody through. It would be a lot harder for Alex to break through. Take it a step further. Give them shields. Do you think Alex could get through shields? Men standing side by side? I don't think so. And that's what Paul's telling the Philippians to do. As they stand firm in the gospel, they need to stand side by side, not letting the enemy through. But not only do we stand side by side, Paul tells us also that we need to have one spirit. Look again at verse 27. Standing firm in one spirit. 
This is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. God wants us to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we stand side by side with our brothers, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to empower us. He is our power source. Just as men go into battle, their power source is their sword. Well, we have the sword of the Spirit. And the Spirit lives in us. And He gives us the power to have victory. But He goes on. He doesn't just say one Spirit. He says also one mind. As men go into battle, they have to be on the same page. They've got to be of one mind and one understanding. They all got to know the battle plan. They have to, to know what the strategy is for their fight, for their battle. In this battle that we just talked about, that we saw, the reason that the, the Greeks lost that battle, the Spartans fell, was because one of them betrayed them and told the Persians a back way around them. And the Persians came around from the back and flanked them and took them. But I think, I think the Greeks would have won. If that had not happened, they would have stood their ground in the gap, standing side by side, one mind and one spirit. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 46. It says, All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking the bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of the heart. So we see here the early church, as they came together, they had all things in common. And they were selling their properties in order to help each other out. And they had one mind. They were all on the same page. This was a partnership. A partnership in the gospel. They stood side by side in one spirit and one mind in order that the gospel would go forth. That was the beginning of the church, the beginning of the spread of the gospel around the world. And it was because they were partnering together. So we talked about standing side by side, having one spirit, which is our power source, having one mind, which is our battle plan, and being on the same page. But what was their cause? Look back at verse 27 again. It says, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Their cause was the sake of the gospel. Just like the many men and women that have fought for this country over the years. Some have died, some have survived, but they all fought. And they all had one cause. And that cause was the freedom of this country. The freedom that we have today to stand here and preach the gospel. The freedom to live the lives that we have. They fought for that. And they had a cause. Well, we as Christians have a cause. Our cause is the gospel. And we have to fight for that cause. And how do we do that? We do that by being united together. Look at with me at Galatians 3.28. It says, Neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one. As believers, we are one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your background is, what social status you have, whether you're a man or female. It's all that matters is are you in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you're united in Him. 
And Pastor Ad will share next week more about being united in Christ. But it's so important. If we're going to fight this battle and stand firm in Christ, we've got to be united. So, my friends, let me challenge you to stand side by side by your brothers and sisters in Christ, being of one spirit and one mind for the sake of the gospel, being united in Jesus Christ. So our first reason for living worthy of the gospel is standing firm in Christ. The second reason that this passage shows us to live worthy of the gospel is trusting Christ with everything. Look with me at verse 28, part A. It says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. There's so much right now in this world that we could be fearful of. This pandemic has led a lot of people into fear, whether it's fear of death, fear of the unknown future, fear of what the new norm will be, fear of the direction of this country, fear right now of the riots that are going on around this country in the various cities, the fear of not being in control, the fear to even know what truth is anymore. There's so many different people speaking into us, and they're contradictory a lot of times. Well, my friends, there's one truth that we all can stand on. And that's the Word of God. The truth of God's Word that never changes. And His promises are what we should live by. And I'd like you to to look at one truth in God's Word right now, 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. God doesn't want us to fear. He wants us to trust Him with our lives, with everything in our lives. Many years ago, Pastor Boone led me through the Spiritual Life Studies, which is a one-on-one discipleship program. And in that, there was a session that talked about worry versus worship. And when our worry is high, our worship is low. But when our worship is high, our worry is low. Well, my friends, are you going to worship your Savior, Jesus Christ? Or are you going to allow worry to control your life? Are you going to allow fear to enter into your life? Or are you going to live in power and love and self-control, like 2 Timothy 1.7 says? One of my friends this week shared this practical way of surrendering all to Christ. And there's nothing magical in it, but it's just a physical way to show God that what's going on in your heart and surrendering to Him. He shared with me what he does at the end of each day. Is he goes before to the window and looks out into the, the horizon. And he raises his arms up to God. And he spends some time worshiping Him. And he worships in, in prayer and praise and sometimes maybe even in song. But it's a time of worship. And after some time of worship, he then brings his hands down. And he puts them out. Palms down, hands open. And an essence of surrendering all to Christ. Because what's natural for us is to hold on. To hold on to what we have. But we need to surrender. Let go. And allow Christ to have it. And that's a sign of it. Our hands down. And so he prays and he commits and surrenders all to Christ. And then he ends his time with his hands out, palms up. Laying his request at the feet of Jesus. Letting Jesus be the one 
to take care of all the things that are going on in his life. Whether it's his future, the fears of what's going on in the world around us, he's laying all those at the feet of Jesus. He's trusting Christ with everything. And this is, there's, there's no magic in the hands. It's just a, a symbol of what's going on in our heart. It's a surrender to Christ with everything. So verse 28 says, not to fear anything, but it also says not to fear your opponents. Well, who are our opponents? Well, our first opponent would be those who oppose the gospel. Those that are opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and us living for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 2.2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. In some versions say, in the midst of much opposition. I'd like to use that word, opposition. Paul always faced opposition when he went to, to city to city sharing the gospel. There were those that were opposed to it, that didn't want him to share the gospel. But he was bold with it. And he stood against those oppositions. And he continued to share it. Well, you and I also need to stand against those that are opposed to the gospel. And continue to preach and teach and share the gospel with others. And not live in fear of our opponent. But our only opponent isn't those that are opposed to the gospel. There's another opponent that's greater than those opponents. And that's the devil and his minions. Look at Ephesians 6, 12-13. It says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So we don't just fight against flesh and blood, against other people. We fight against the spiritual realm, the evil one, the one that's tempting us to not live worthy of the gospel. It's tempting us to live for ourselves, to live for this present world, and not live for the future kingdom. Well, brothers and sisters, we need to put on the whole armor of God. We need the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the loins of truth, the sword of the word, and the shield of faith. And lastly, the foot of the gospel of peace. We need to clothe ourselves with the full armor in order that we might go into battle and stand firm like we talked about before. Trusting Christ in everything. We need to stand side by side with our brothers and sisters and fight against the evil one and against the powers of darkness and the powers of this world. We need to oppose, fight against those who oppose the gospel. And as we fight, we need to realize that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will repay. Leave it to Christ. Surrender it to Him. Trust that He will deal with your opponents. It's only by His power that we will have victory. Look at the end of verse 28. It says, And frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Their destruction will come. Know this, that the devil and all those that oppose the gospel and the demons will be cast into the lake of fire. They will be destroyed. Their destruction will come. So stand confident in the Lord, trusting in Him with everything. So we stand firm in Christ. We trust Christ with everything. And thirdly, if we're going to live worthy of the gospel of Christ, 
We have to have confidence of your salvation in Christ. Have confidence of your salvation in Christ. Look at the end of, of verse 28. It says, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Well, my friends, have confidence in your salvation. Realizing it's not yours. You didn't do it. God did it. Look at there at the end of verse 8. It's not from you. It's from God. It says, that from God. Your salvation is from God. John 10, 28 and 29 says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And none, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Realize that if you are in Christ, you are in God's hand. He's holding on to you. No one can snatch you out of His hand. That's a hope that we have. He's the living God. He is the sovereign God. He's in control of all things. And if He's holding on to you, no one can snatch you out of His hand. Be confident in that. Look with me also at 1 John 5, verses 11 to 13. It says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you know, to know that you have eternal life. That's why He had the Apostle John write this epistle to his, his audience, that they might know that they have eternal life. This is a hope that we all have. And that's why we can look at 1 John and see if we have these qualifications that are in 1 John, if we're living for Christ, that we have eternal life. And we can have confidence of that. I'd like to share one last verse to give encourage you in your confidence in your salvation. And that's Romans 8, 38-39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing, my friends, that can separate you from the love of God. There's no one that can snatch you out of His hand. There's no one that can take you away from God. If you are in Christ, you are preserved for all eternity in Him. So have confidence, my friends. Have confidence. I want to share with you a personal testimony to this to this nature. The Lord called me to Himself on November 1st, 1998, when I was 19 years old and a freshman in college. But after that day, after that moment, there have been many times over the last 20-some years where I've wrestled with that. I've wrestled with my salvation. I've at times doubted. I've doubted for hours or weeks or sometimes even months. And several years ago, Pastor Boone shared this truth with me, and I'd like to share it with you. Instead of looking back to that moment when you became a believer, and maybe some of you don't even know when that moment was, but instead of looking back to that, look back to the cross. Look back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And at that moment is when He saved you. He saved you at the cross. When He shed His blood to cover your sins. When He took the wrath of God upon Himself. He stood between you, my friends, and God's wrath. At that moment is when you were saved. So look back to that. And don't doubt your salvation. Have confidence that if you are in Christ, He will hold on to you. And He will never let you go.
have confidence in your salvation. And fourthly, if you're going to live worthy of the gospel of Christ, you have to be willing to suffer for Christ. You have to be willing to suffer for Christ. Look at verses 29 and 30. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. We have to be willing to suffer for Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're going to live worthy of the gospel of Christ, you need to be prepared to be persecuted for it. You have to be prepared to suffer for it. Richard Wormbrand, a Romanian pastor and church leader from the 1940s and 50s, he was willing to suffer for Christ. He stood against the communist regime that came in and took over Romania after World War II and brought communism and atheism into that country. He stood against it. He was very vocal about it. And because of that, he was arrested. And he was put in prison for 14 years. And in those 14 years, many years he spent in isolation where it was just him by himself. No one else around. And you know how he survived that time? He would write sermons in his mind and preach them to himself each and every night. In fact, his memory was so good that when he got out of prison, he was able to write a lot of those down. In many days, he spent being tortured, beaten. But he stood strong. He stood firm in Christ. He had confidence of his salvation. And he trusted Christ in that situation. He was willing to suffer for Christ because he was willing to live worthy of the gospel. Well, my friends, are you willing to live worthy of the gospel and suffer for Jesus Christ? Are you willing to suffer like Richard did? He wrote a book, Tortured for Christ, and it is a detailed description of those 14 years that he spent in, in prison. And thankfully, after 14 years, he was released and he was able to find exile in other countries and ultimately in America. And he continued, though, to speak against those that were persecuting the church. And he continued to rally people with the voices of martyrs. My friends, are you willing to suffer like he did? Well, I'd like to share several truths about suffering with you. The first truth is it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Look with me at Acts 5.40-42. It says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They counted it worthy to suffer for His name. It's a privilege to suffer for Christ. And the apostles lived that out. They counted it a privilege. And every apostle suffered for Christ. Well, the second truth about suffering is suffering for Christ brings reward. But it's a future reward. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Romans 8.17 
to 18. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Suffering brings future reward. If we're willing to suffer, we can be guaranteed of a future reward in heaven. It's all about that future glory. And not just our glory, the glory of Christ Jesus. Which leads me to the third truth about suffering. We suffer for the sake of Christ. Look back at verse 29. Back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Well, we suffer for His sake. And in Paul, later in this book, chapter 3, verses 7 to 9 says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through Christ in faith, faith through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul was worthy, willing to count all of it as lost, as rubbish. He didn't want to hold on to anything in order to bring glory to Christ. And he wanted to serve Christ, and he was willing to suffer for Christ's sake. The fourth truth about suffering is believing in Christ leads to willingness to suffer for Him. Believing in Christ leads to willingness to suffer for Him. Look back at verse 29 in Philippians 1. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Not only believe in Him, but suffer also. Just think about all our brothers and sisters around the world. As they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they know persecution is coming. But they're willing to believe because they know what Christ has to offer is greater than that suffering. And many of them are disowned by their family, are mocked, some are beaten, some are imprisoned, and some even are killed for their faith. But they're willing to suffer because they know when they believe in Christ, they counted the cost. And they were willing to do what it took. The last truth about suffering I'd like to share with you this morning is that we need to follow Paul's example. Look back at verse 30. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So the Philippians knew that Paul had suffered. They had seen it. Some of them, the Philippian jailers, were part of that suffering. And so Paul's saying, remember, I suffered. I was engaged in that suffering and I was willing to do it for the sake of Christ. But not only did he suffer then, he also suffered at that present time. We know from verses 16 or 12 to 18 that he was in prison at that time. That he was being imprisoned and he was suffering at that present time. So we need to follow Paul's example and be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. Well, my friends, I'll have to be honest with you. 
As I prepared this sermon this week, it was a very challenging one to prepare. Because in reality, I struggle with all these things. There are many times in my life where I don't trust Christ with everything. That I don't surrender all to Him. And like I already said, there's times where I've doubted. I've lacked confidence in my salvation. And I've wrestled many, many times over, am I willing to suffer for Christ? If, if persecution would come to this country, if we had to, as Americans, suffer, would I be willing? Well, I think we all have to ask us this, ourselves this question. What needs to change in our lives in order to live in a manner worthy of the Gospel? What do we need to change Do we need to stand firm in Christ, partnering with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we need to trust Christ with some area of our lives and surrender it over to Him? Do we need to have assurance of the salvation God has granted to you in Christ Jesus? Or do you need to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ? Whether it's one or all of those, let me challenge you, brothers and sisters, May we strive together to live worthy of the gospel of Christ in our lives. May we live worthy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a challenging passage this is to live worthy of the gospel. It's so convicting, Lord. I know in my own life there's been many days that I have not lived worthy of the gospel. But my desire in my heart is to live worthy. And I pray that Your Spirit would help me. Lord, fill myself and fill everyone that's listening with Your Holy Spirit. Give us the power to live worthy of the Gospel. It is only by Your grace and Your help that we can do so. And may we stand firm in Christ. May we trust Christ with everything in our lives. May we have confidence in the salvation that You have given to us. And may we be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. Lord, we need Your help. And I pray that You would give us the help that we need. And may we be challenged to live worthy of the gospel this week. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.